0: What is up, Crusaders of Crypt Nation? You know that everything we do here is for you
1: and the good folk over at eToro make it all possible. Absolutely, eToro is an exchange with regulated on-ramps and off-ramps to the dollar and most other fiat currencies. It is a place where you can come buy and sell crypto with confidence. With the utmost confidence, I might
0: say. Um, These guys have built an awesome, awesome platform. They got trading tools for the advanced guys and gals out there. Everything's super low latency, highly secure. And they've got a lot of smart tools.
1: Yeah. well, uh, If you're just getting into crypto, eToro is probably the best place to start. Because if you're not ready to put money in the market, they have a virtual simulator. So you can play and trade with up to $100,000 of virtual money while you learn. All at no cost to you. And on top of it all, eToro has been around since 2007, offering crypto assets since 2013. So they know what they're doing. They have 10 million users spread across 140 countries
0: yeah i mean these guys are no joke these are the real deal crypt nation and you guys got to understand that not all platforms are created equal okay so go to crypto 101 podcast.com slash etoro and sign up to see the difference for yourself All right, everybody. Welcome to Crypto 101. Welcome to Crypt Nation. This is Bryce, and I'm accompanied by my compadre, Pizza Mind, over here.
1: Yes, it is a great day today. There's all kinds of chaos and stuff running everywhere. Uh, It makes me very happy. But we have with us today something that's going to settle things down and provide some clarity and some peace of mind for Pizza Mind. Yeah, so today we have a gentleman by the name of Kosala Hemashandra,
0: and you guys might know him better as the CEO and founder of a platform that you may or may not use every day called MyEtherWallet. So Kosala, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're super stoked, man. I mean, when I first got into the space, MyEtherWallet was the very first platform I ever used to interact with my tokens um, and my Ethereum and stuff, so I'm very familiar with the platform, and I'm very just excited that you're on, you're you're here spending an hour of your day with us. So thank you. Awesome,
2: thank you so much. Yeah, um, Bryce and Pizza, I'm I'm really like <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm huge fans of this crypto one, one podcast. To be honest, so I I sometimes listen to it like while I'm on my way to work, and it's it's always a pleasure to have it um, be be part of it.
1: Thank you very much. We're really humbled to have you as a listener and now as a guest on our show. And I think it's great. I still use my Ether wallet. I've been able to watch it evolve over the years and I I love the new interface. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah,
2: we just released it uh, last February. And ever since then, we've been getting a lot of like positive feedback and also some negative feedback about like how certain things are not as easy to access as it used to be. Uh, And some people still like the vintage version. Uh, which is our old version. And every day we are trying to figure out how to improve the current version better so that even the people who are um, used to the vintage version uh, can seamlessly migrate to the new version.
0: Yeah, definitely speaking for me, I 110% prefer the new version over the vintage version. So take that as you may, but let's dive in to some, uh, first, some high-level stuff. So I actually had a conversation with my brother-in-law the other day. And my brother-in-law is like, hey, bro, you call yourself Crypto 101, but um, le- could we get some more 101 questions up front uh, from the interviewer? And you know, could, we, could we break down some concepts a little bit more um, and you know, dissect really what is cryptocurrency? And so yeah, he felt like maybe that was a little bit missing. So to the audience out there, we're going to be bringing you more you know, 101 questions up front before we even dive into the product, just because we're aware that this might be the first time uh, somebody's listening to a cryptocurrency podcast, right? So we want to make sure that every episode we're just at least dissecting that. Um, so Kosala, upfront, what gives cryptocurrency monetary value? Why do these things hold value over time? And yeah, it fluctuates from zero dollars to two dollars to twenty thousand dollars to ten thousand to sixteen, back down to six. and they but it still holds a monetary value. So so what's up with this? That's a really good question. Um, right now, as of this is my, like my opinion,
2: right now, as of now, it's a completely speculative market. That's why it fluctuates so much. Uh, it fluctuates from, like you said, like 20,000 to 10,000. If you think about it, that's a huge drop, uh, like a 50% drop. And that this is not something people are used to seeing, like, for example, stock exchange or uh, Forex exchange. Um, but like, if you, when you, when it comes to cryptocurrencies or crypto or blockchain in general, it's right now very speculative, especially because people who invest in uh cryptocurrencies are investing in what it can be, not what it is right now. Like think about early days of internet, right? So it's like if if you ask anyone, hey, like why would you invest in internet or why did you buy a dot com like website? No idea. Like some people might not even know how to make a website at that point in time, but they just bought the domain. And like we also uh Uh, like how internet grew over time and like what it is worth right now. So for example, if you have a like a dictionary word domain name, food network or foods.com, something that has a huge value. So I think that's where we are right now. Uh, People who who are getting into crypto or like who actually motivated or who wants to know how blockchain or crypto works is actually investing in what it can be uh, rather than what it is right now. But even even today, you can see like a lot of utilitarian or like utilities coming out to make use of blockchain. so um, actual usage of having a blockchain or cryptocurrency is already happening, which is com- like to be honest, which is really awesome in my opinion, Because it's not, it's not like it'll take some time, it'll take a couple of years, but as of now, already seeing the uh, the utilitarian aspect of it, it's amazing.
0: So, so I think, you know, one of the, one of the big points that you got at is the utility of these things, uh, being able to, you know, have a currency that you could send anywhere in the world is, is there some type of utility to that? But you know, what are some of the other reasons why a public open blockchain network like Ethereum, for instance, the, the, the platform that you've built on, you know, what's so important about uh cryptocurrency? Like why does the world actually need this stuff? Um, not a great question. So
2: think about it this way. Uh, People are already, this is breaking the mindset of a person is really hard. Like people are already so used to investing in stock exchanges, opening their money in banks. And what they don't understand is that banks and stock exchanges and like foreign money exchange, all of those have a centralized aspect. So one day, if one of those servers goes down or for, for, for whatever reason, um, like, the government decided to put some restrictions on, on those funds or oh, some uh, stocks. So suddenly, everyone's like, wait, what happened to my funds? Like, where did it go? I thought it's mine. Like, how can you control that? But with with Ethereum or with public blockchain like Bitcoin, that will never happen. the The whole blockchain is public and it's maintained by thousands and thousands of nodes. So even if one goes down, three goes down, hundred goes down, even all of them goes down, actually still will continue. Your funds are still safe because you are the only person who can control it with your private key.
1: And that's a tremendous thing to point out because even if you're not a criminal, banks can still screw you over. Us, for example, we're not criminals. We don't even deal in cryptocurrency. We're simply an educational platform. And we are having the worst time with one of the biggest banks in the country here. And they told us, you know, after almost two weeks that this check we deposited would be cleared today. It did clear this morning. And then that bank put another hold on it. And when we called them up, they literally said, I don't know what to tell you. I can't get a hold of anyone that has an answer. That was their solution to us. How are we going to pay people that have done work for us on Upwork and design work and things like that? This is why cryptocurrency is so important. Simply just using Venmo to move money around is not good enough. But there are multiple cryptocurrencies, and the two biggest ones are Bitcoin and Ethereum. And if someone's new just getting into the space, it's kind of like, well, which one's better? What's the difference? What's the same? I don't know. When I got into the space, it took me like six months to figure out what Ethereum was or how to even spell it. Can you tell us what are some of the similarities and differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum? Yes, for sure.
2: If it's a Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like that scenario happens all the time. It happens to our company, might the wallet multiple times. So that's why, even though we like totally deal with it, everything in crypto, unfortunately to, to pay employees and play other, pay other workers, we have to deal with the actual bank. So, and that scenario happens all the time. And that's why I, I hope pretty soon we'll be able to, deal only in crypto and make everyone pay in crypto. But like to get to your uh, question, uh, some differences between Bitcoin and Ethereum, Bitcoin is the father or the mother of everything, all the blockchains. So everything started with Bitcoin, but Bitcoin by itself is just a um, value. So think of it as gold. If you have gold, yeah, it's a value, and then you can give it to someone, you can get it from someone, uh, you can transfer, you can split it into pieces, Are older, so Bitcoin itself is a value, but uh, Ethereum can do a lot more. Ethereum ETH is technically not a value; it's the it's the gas that you need. Or gas? Let me explain gas a little bit. Gas is uh, think of gas as the the gasoline put in your car. Yes, of course you had to pay a certain amount in dollar to get the gasoline to put it in your car, but in order to drive from point A to point B you need gasoline in your car. So that's pretty much the same concept in Ethereum. So Ethereum brings whole new level to Bitcoin, like at least 100x, if not 1,000x better than Bitcoin because you can add logic to your values. So uh, we call them smart contracts. So you can write a specific set of rules and logic uh, in order for it to um, dispense or in order for some action to happen in Ethereum blockchain, so it brings it 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 opens up a whole new level because now you can run smart contracts in 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 the blockchain, uh, which are very deterministic. So, for example, let's say you have a contract. Uh, this can be a regular contract that you sign with the bank, but like since this contract, the smart contract is in the blockchain, it's very deterministic. So, if it say, okay, I'm going to give you money. 2 days from today it will actually give you money 2 days from today so no one can put another hold on it because it's very deterministic logic is already written and no one can change that it's uh, immutable so you can guarantee certain things will happen on a certain time
0: so it's like i, I, that's I love the biggest that
2: difference.
0: yeah that's all, and it's also you know to the point like we were talking about the difference between stocks and bonds and crypto and stuff like stocks and bonds trade 200 days out of 365 days they trade maybe eight hours you know they have holidays they don't trade weekends and stuff um and the banks you know aren't open on the weekends and stuff most of them uh and so crypto is this world or i should say this payment rail or this future where it's it's at the speed of the digital age right like our lives don't stop on the weekends our lives don't stop on holidays we need access to capital at all times of the day And, you know, all the overnight lending rates from bank to banks are super, super high. I think it just, uh, the Fed's overnight lending rate spiked to 10%. And that's why we're seeing so many crazy things happen in the traditional markets recently. Um, And that's why we had to get a massive injection of capital into the system from the Fed. Uh, We've already printed, the last two weeks, we've already printed 50% of what we printed in uh, the 2008-2009 bailout stimulus package that's in, like that's insane and so the, the amount of money that's flowing in the system but basically that's a little tangent to the fact that crypto baby it trades 24 7 365 twice on sundays this train doesn't stop um, and it's for a digital global networked world that doesn't stop as well so it only makes sense that our money doesn't stop right
2: totally i totally agree with you and um and there's no one in blockchain space that can print extra money or like it's very deterministic like i said it if- it's, okay, well, there will only be 1,000 extra eat within the next three days. There will only be 1,000 extra eat in the next three days. No one can just jump in and be like, no, I feel like we'd have 5,000. That's not going to happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's one of the, you know, points of, you know, the first question I ask is what gives crypto monetary value? Well, it's a algorithmic or a projectable inflationary schedule or a monetary policy, right? You know that there's the exact amount, there's going to be 1800 Bitcoin produced every day. And that in four years, it's going to be half of that. And then four years is gonna be half of that. And so you could you could project the supply and you could trust that that is always going to be the same. So you know, your unit of economic account is essentially stabilized. Whereas when you have a floating base, like we do with the dollar where you don't know if they're going to print $500 billion in a day, um, which then devalues the dollars that you have because now you own a smaller percentage of the total circulating supply. So one of the main points of value is, is uh, of Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like that is it has a limited supply, uh, just like gold. Yeah, totally agree with you. No,
2: that's that's exact exactly what it is. People have predictability, deterministic. Uh, amount in, in uh, inflation, so that everyone can predict what can happen and how to invest and how to move forward, rather than just just assuming things.
1: What do you think the end game is for crypto if it actually succeeds? Like, where's this going to be in ten, fifteen, twenty years? That's a great question.
2: End game. Like in my opinion, end game will be everyone having their private key to themselves, but it's not as complicated as the current way of uh, storing value in blockchain. It should be something similar to having, um, like you mentioned, the Venmo. It should be something similar to having a Venmo account, but still people have complete control over um, all of their crypto funds. And everyone should be able to, like, well, best case scenario, the ideal world, everyone in the world will have a crypto account and do daily crypto transactions and everything in crypto and they can um, control their privacy in the blockchain. They can control uh, who access their privacy, who has, you know, where they set the information. They can deterministically say, okay, my privacy won't be leaked or they can deterministically say, okay, my funds are safe um, and no one can control it. Oh, I will get paid in this day, no matter what. All those things.
0: Yeah, I I love that point that you brought up, uh, kind of the comparison to these centralized services like maybe Facebook who control your identity and your data and they monetize it through selling it to advertisers and stuff like that or Cambridge Analytica.
2: Yes. Um, You know,
0: Google does the same stuff. So could you kind of paint us a picture um, in like practical terms of what it would look like for us to own our own data? What are the implications of that? And also yeah how how does that even work?
2: Yes, I can totally do that. Yeah, so think of it this way. Um, for example, you can put you can create an identity in the blockchain, so you put your name, address, uh, social security number, uh, all the like your mother's maiden name, everything that you think or you private or yourself, right? That's your identity. And then you can decide who gets to look at this identity, and for how long? So think of it as a contract. You write all like everything about yourself, and then you say, okay, this, uh, I want to share this information with this bank or this DeFi app because I want to get a loan from that application. So you can decide which information you share with them, and then you can say, okay, they only have to see my name, my address, my social security number, and uh, my uh, driver's license number. So that, that's the only information they have to see and only for the length of the loan. So let's say you take the loan for 30 days or three years, They they only have access to that information about you for 30 days or three years, not forever. So right now, the way everything works, if you go to a bank and get a loan, they'll have information about you forever. So they can even use it in like 50 years from now to do some... Calculations, or or to even um, sell it to Cambridge Analytica or something else or somewhere else, and um, it that's what brings value to them. Your information, your data, and then why not just keep it yourself and have that value to yourself? You know, you don't have to give someone else the access to give someone else access to your data, which can be sold um, to. I don't know, like
1: hundreds or thousands
2: of different places.
1: It's really hard in this space to tell the difference between a diamond and a leaf unless you can actually hold them next to each other and really see uh, what one can do versus the other. And we often do that with Bitcoin and Ethereum, most often. But just looking at crypto versus the old way of using money or the way we usually use money now is what I refer to as the old way. And looking at charts like at blockchain.com or etherscan.io, you see the amount of transactions that are taking place on the Bitcoin and Ethereum networks are really trending upwards over time. The highest amount of uh, Ethereum transactions in a day was over 1.2 million. So it's not like if you're deciding to get in on Bitcoin or Ethereum, you're not going to have any dance partners. There's a lot going on out there. Even in a very, very down, slow market like today, there's only... 348,000 transactions so far on Bitcoin today. I say only. That's still a huge number. But when you put that diamond next to a leaf and you say Visa, the entire Visa network usually does about 100 million transactions a day throughout the entire world. So there's still a huge amount of growth that can take place and needs to take place before Visa and the US dollar and fiat money really does become an old system. However... Crypto has already gained enough traction that it's not going away, and it's providing an actual usable system that you can use right now. For instance, in any organization I'm a part of, I will not take fiat from my work. I say, you have to pay me in crypto. I don't care how much of a headache it is. Until we start using these things that we're building, nothing's going to change. So I encourage everyone out there to do the same. And even if you don't get your way, at least it starts a conversation of what does it take to pay my employees in cryptocurrency? And it gets people thinking. In addition to that, um You know, it's just really interesting to see, you know, things evolve over time. And we mentioned, you know, my Ether wallet had a a upgrade this year. What future plans for my Ether wallet? Like, how do you guys plan on taking the next step towards um, wallet security, or potentially, um, you know, like a wallet where multiple people have to sign off on a transaction? What are you guys building on right now? Yeah. Um. So we have to go a little back. Oh, like a little back in history to answer that question.
2: Initially, when we started uh, MyEtherWallet, it was just a wallet interface. And uh, by, by that, I mean, it's just a way to just interact with Ethereum network. You can send transactions, get transactions, uh, transfer tokens, ERC-20 tokens, uh, all that. Um, and now, yes, wallet interface still exists, MyEtherWallet.com is the wallet interface with the new upgraded version, which is version 5, and we are already working on version 6 and so on, which are which is obviously better than uh, version 5. Uh, but we want to take my Ether wallet brand or new brand to a whole new level. We want to be part of this ecosystem, and whenever we see people having issues, like, for example, onboarding to Ethereum, right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of newcomers uh, listening to this podcast, like, whenever whenever we see an issue with um onboarding process or whenever we see users having issues with some part of ethereum ecosystem we want to jump in we want to jump in and like create a utility that makes it easy for them to navigate through this space so that's where about i'd say like eight months ago we started working on a couple of projects one of them is new connect which is a free and open source uh hardware wallet alternative to your, uh, it's an app for your phone. So if in case people, hardware wallets are still very expensive. Like if you think about hundred dollars. I mean, yes, there are people who can afford hundred dollars uh, for their hardware wallet, but there are also people who cannot. And then we, we thought about them. That's a huge market. And um, that's why we jumped in. We, and most of our mobile phones these days have a very secure storage to keep your private keys. Oh, like to save your wallet information. So we jumped in, we created New Connect, which is a hardware wallet alternative to on your phone. So you can now make your phone a hardware wallet uh, to keep your uh, crypto safe. And again, and then we also saw that there are some- Let's uh, hold
0: on one, one sec, Kosala, before we yeah. jump into this next step here, um, I think it'd be super helpful for the audience to understand that there are- or there is a piece of the phone called the trusted execution environment, right? Where you could store, you could store pieces of information that will never be able to be accessed by the operating system. So could you break down the importance of this and why, you know, this is a unique approach as compared to some other software wallets that store your private keys online?
2: Yes. So um, think about it this way or this like little piece of it's most of the modern uh, smartphones has this little piece of device in their phone, which is, yeah, like you said, trusted executional environment. So what it does is that it'll keep your private keys safe inside and then it won't let any of the apps or operating systems or anything to actually see the physical or like the actual key so they cannot see the raw key what it can do is so what for example what an app can do is app can send the information to this little piece of device inside the phone saying hey like i want this transaction signed with the private keys uh saved inside your uh storage so what it'll do it'll do the signing send back the a uh, signed version of the transaction, saying, "Okay, here, like, I am not going to show you my private key, but like, if you want, here's here's the output of what I did, so the app can read the output and um, publish the transaction or do any any anything else um, that r- related to that private key. So it, as opposed, this is way secure as opposed to saving private keys online. For example, if you think of any exchange." Most of the exchanges, yeah, they show you, okay, here's your wallet address, here's your Bitcoin address, here's your Ethereum address, but there are the people who has the private key for that. And that private key is saved somewhere in the cloud or in one of their database. So the biggest problem with that is the moment a hacker can get access to this database, all the, all the funds, all, the, all the, the information in that database, it's something they can see. And this is not something that happens uh, very often. So I don't want to scare away people, but this is a possibility. And uh, by having control of the funds or control of your funds using your own uh, mobile app or your own private key is way secure because it won't let anyone, not even you, see the private key. So it is way more secure uh, to have it that way than uh, the usual other ways.
1: I really like the sound of that. Uh, there's so many different approaches we've looked at, and that's really unique. I don't really use many wallet apps on my phone because of so many different concerns, but that actually sounds like a, a pretty safe approach. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I'm certainly going to look more into uh, Mio Connect after this podcast. Of all the other wallets out there, who would you say like your biggest competitors are, and what are your advantages that you have over them?
2: Yes. So... Um... When we look at other wallets like compared to when we started, right? We were the only oh like one of the one of the three, but all the other wallets that were there in the beginning just disappeared as the time goes on but so we were like the only wallet available at the beginning, and that's that's one of the advantages advantages we had
1: Let me today. ask you this real quick though. If, yeah. you know, a wallet disappears, like a company provider doesn't exist anymore, are all those funds gone or can people still pull it off and just development ceases for new features? How does that work?
2: Yeah. So whenever, uh, let's say there's a wallet and like all these wallet services, as long as it's non-custodial, they have a standard ways of saving the private keys. So there's nothing to worry, my wallet is still here. So all of those uh, ways of using private keys, uh, we, we all support, uh, we support all of them. So uh, let's, wh-
0: break, let's break down the concept of custodial and non-custodial.
2: Okay, so non-custodial is when you control your funds. So you have access to this piece of information that lets you access your wallet. So it's like usually, it's a really long string of characters, but it's not something you have to memorize. It'll be in the form of a file or like a hardware wallet all inside New Connect. So it's not something you have to remember. So all those, yeah, as long as you have access to this uh, private key for your wallet, that's a non-custodial wallet. Custodial wallets is where people save their funds. Of like, for example, in an exchange, like a centralized service, and then they trust users trust the service to keep their funds safe. So that's that's the difference. So custody of your funds is with someone else versus custody of your funds is with you.
1: And I think it's also important to mention um, before you get into the different wallets, a cryptocurrency wallet is not like your physical wallet that you keep in your pocket or your purse. And if you use it, you're out of luck. A wallet is just an interface that actually, Tool ledger that keeps your real value and money is spread over thousands of computers across the, the globe, really. Depending, it doesn't matter which Ethereum wallet I have or software provider I'm using, whether they're existing or not. MetaMask, you know, I can take that same address, that same private key, and move it over to my Ether wallet if I want to. So it doesn't matter if the wallet provider completely disappears or if they're corrupt or a scam for the most part as long as you're the only one that ever has your private key
2: yes yes you're absolutely right so that's why so uh, all the wallets out there um, have these standards of saying the keys and then most of the wallets supports each other so that's another thing why I like about this ecosystem because it's not just like I don't like to think of the other wallet services as competitors because we are in it together and they have certain features that we don't have and we have certain features that they don't have. So it's uh, it's a way of just interacting or letting Ethereum users use their funds in different ways. And we are in it together to make it secure, safe, and easy to interact with Ethereum. And a uh, couple of features that set us aside from other worlds is that like I said before, we are moving towards, moving the new brand towards a service provider. So we have new connect, we have, we are working on our own blockchain explorer called e and which is open source as well. So all this, so whenever we see a problem in the Ethereum space, we jump in, we uh, use or like use our fame or use our uh, customer support requests to make it better, make it easy for, for the space. And, Mutopia.com is another good example where we explain these little tiny uh, complicated subjects to a user in a very understandable way.
0: Awesome. So, I mean, as a CEO, you're always trying to measure the success of your business and you're always trying to measure the success of the market that you're operating in. So how do you personally measure the success of your business?
2: Me personally? I, I would just like to have uh, happy users. That's that's my success. But unfortunately, that's not the most important part in running a business because you have to make money somehow. So the way we are focusing on actually making profit is by charging the businesses, not the users. So at the end of the day, I personally become happy because I have happy users because I'm not charging them for the services we provide. And then we use um, our swap, like for example, that's where you can convert from one token to another, or ETH to Bitcoin or Bitcoin to ETH. So we provide all these services inside the wallet, and that's where we. So we can charge the exchanges a certain fee than charging the users. So by this, the user, the fee that users has to pay will not increase. It will only increase the 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 amount um, the exchange. Like um, it'll, it'll not increase the amount that users has to pay. It'll just take a cut off of the exchange fees
0: that exchange charges.
2: So um, this way we can run a business and I can be happy at the same time.
0: (laughs) Very well said. All right. So before we, uh, before we let you go, we always like to ask a few pointed questions, personal pointed questions And, and just, it gives us a little color about who you are. So, of all the people in the crypto space, I mean, you've probably literally met every single influential person in the crypto space. So, if Mostly. you had to
1: choose,
0: <laughs> if you had to choose one person um, who's impacted you the most, or one experience that really, really defined part of your character, who would you say did that, and what was that experience? Um, I have to say, is it is it cliche to say it's Vitalik Buterin? <laughs> it is very it is. cliche. It is very cliche. <laughs>
2: But it is him, because that's he's the one who actually made me get into Ethereum space. Because when I was in my senior year of college, that's when I first read uh, the yellow paper and like this whole Ethereum, and I was really impressed by him and like what he accomplished at such such a young age. So it's I I have to say I know it might be the most popular answer, but like I have to say it, it it's him. If it weren't for him, I'm not here, so.
0: (laughs) They say cliches are cliche for a reason. And it's because these people have defined a generation. Exactly.
2: Yeah. They, they, he pretty much paved the path for me. Like, um, and then I was intrigued by like how Ethereum is or what Ethereum is about and what, what we can accomplish with such a technology. And that's why I jumped into space to bring these features or bring these services to the users. So um, I have to say, it's definitely him.
1: Yeah, he's really uh, really changed the world. And there's not a whole lot of people that can say they, they did that, so we have oh. a lot of respect for him too. For sure. If this is the first podcast that someone getting space heard, what would you want them to know?
2: I want them to know crypto is not a way to make quick money. Let's just say that crypto is a way for you to be part of the next big thing, so do your research, learn about it. Right now, as now, it's not a very simple subject, but there are tons of people out there working on crypto or blockchain industry to make it easy, make it more welcoming to almost everyone in the world. So, um, if you want get in, it's a great opportunity, but. Make sure you do your research. Make sure you learn beforehand, and um, that way you can make sure you uh, you are satisfied with the results at the end. Not just just a person who lost money by getting into crypto.
1: Yeah, and this is not just buying a new TV remote and reading the manual for ten minutes. Like this is an entire new technology that is upgrading the way money and information is transferred around the world. It took me a. a experienced technical person, maybe six months to even wrap my head around what was going on. And that was before I even, like I said earlier, could even spell Ethereum. So be patient, um, but it's very, very worth the time. Uh, the last question I think we want to uh, offer is yours. Do you have any questions for us or for our users? Uh, okay. <laughs> this, is, this is a, a yeah. surprise pop quiz question. Uh, yeah, but I think it'd be really cool if, like if you got to ask to let the rest of the listeners something and then they community they can give us like an answer on Twitter and we can continue the dialogue.
2: Yeah. Um, I would like to ask, I mean, since I'm in the Ethereum space, I would like to ask the users, what do you honestly think of Ethereum as of now?
3: Mm. Is it
2: do you just think of it as just a blockchain or just think of it as just people arguing with each other or Something like, what do you actually think of Ethereum as of now? And as us, like people from Ethereum space, what, we can, what can we do to make it or change your mind? Or is it all good? Like we don't have to do anything.
1: Yeah, I actually use Ethereum almost every day in transactions, even more so than Bitcoin. And if someone wants to pay me in something, it's either in Ethereum or an Ethereum-based token like USD or yeah. USDC. And I still really struggle to like remember my address because it's so long. There's literally no way I would ever memorize that thing. So I'm forced to look at like the last four digits or the first, you know, like the digits like two to four right after the zero X and hope that, you know, like no hacker is like doing a copy paste swap or something. So I still get nervous every time I make a transaction. Thankfully, you know, 999 times out of a thousand, everything's worked out okay but you know, I'm never going to forget that one time when it didn't.
2: Uh, let me tell you one more thing. Um, we actually thought about it and we, so there's this service in Ethereum called ENS, but it's, uh, it's slightly complicated. And again, we jumped it into it easy. So if you have a Twitter account and have more than 50 followers, I can uh, post the, I can actually send you the link so you can post the link. Uh, you can simply tweet to our bot, which is uh, at new ENS bot, and ask it to give you a name. And then it'll just simply give you a name. It'll assign the address to a name. So you just have to type in the name and you don't have to remember the address anymore.
1: See, that's so great. And I wish that was a standard feature that like all Ethereum wallets could use. I mean, there needs to be like an Ethereum wallet provider consortium or alliance or something where we can get some standards to move away from having to remember all this 0x stuff. And even passwords, I feel like are completely outdated. I'd love to just have everyone here at Crypto 101 be able to just put their thumbprint on their phone to authorize a transaction to something, you know, just three thumbprints, five thumbprints, whatever it is. I think that would really change the world and make companies a lot more comfortable uh, using Ethereum or Ethereum based tokens as having some kind of biometrics to go along with 2FA and multiple people able to authorize a transaction. I know there's other projects that are doing something similar, but instead of being the outlier, I really feel like that needs to become the standard.
2: I, I totally agree. Like you said, there are a couple of groups that are already working on it. And including us, we are always trying to make it easy for the user to um, access their wallet. Like, especially in NewConnect, we already implemented biometrics. So instead of typing in the PIN code, they can use their fingerprint. But yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those features that are really important. And just making it easy in general to access that fund, but we also have to make sure it has to be secure. So that's a little bit of balancing we had to do uh, to to make it easy for the user.
0: Amazing, amazing. Yeah, to me, I, I'm super excited about this move for Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake because I think it's going to actually fulfill the original vision of Ethereum, which is really this this governance platform. Like, how do we govern? Uh, online interactions and stuff and by being able for every user to stake or you know put their money where their mouth is on these online transactions i think that's going to be really cool so i know people are always saying you know eth is not money um but it's more of like a a a way to vote in these decentralized systems what are your thoughts on that real quick before we get you get you out of here is uh, you you think proof of stake is going to be working out in the favor of ethereum or to the detriment of ethereum
2: um, proof of stake has been uh, part of Ethereum since the beginning because that's like that was the end goal for Ethereum. Initially, we all of us we already knew proof of work is not going to be sustainable across multiple years. So, and then proof of work means you had to pay the miners and all that. And proof of stake, where you can actually stake your ETH and get an interest uh, as a return, can support those enormous numbers you mentioned, something like hundred million transactions on Visa and USD transactions in order to get to that point, in order to become scalable, in order to do 20,000 transactions a second, we definitely have to achieve proof of stake and it'll definitely be an improvement period today. And like, it should be, I, I don't know the timeline, but it should hopefully be ready soon.
0: Awesome. Well, we appreciate the uh, the insight here and thank you again so much for, for giving us an hour of your time today, Kasala.
1: It was quite quite the pleasure.
2: Thank you so much, Brian. And Pizza mine, it's been a, it's, it's my pleasure. Like I, I love your podcast.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for listening and being part of Crip Nation. It really means the world to us that you just a couple of bozos like us get to, uh, impact so many other people. Really humble. Yes, You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you.